Chapter 17 of the Knights of the Square Table. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Tia Wright. The Knights of the Square Table by Secretary Hawkins. Fair and Square. Lou Hunter was the first one down to the clubhouse that evening, and I was the second. Heard anything, Lou? I asked, as I unlocked the door. Not a sound, he said. Why? Pooley's coming tonight, I answered carelessly. I tried to act as though I weren't afraid. I walked back into my little writing room and lit the lamp on my desk. Yeah, I continued, the old square table leader will be here himself. Thought maybe you'd like to get a good look at him. I sure would, spoke up Lou. I'd like to give that bully a piece of my mind. I waved my hand. That wouldn't do, I said. He wouldn't even hear you. Takes more than scolding Lou to make a fellow like Pooley sit up. You remember how many boys he had in his gang on Halloween? Fifty-two. I counted him, and believe me, Lou Hunter, if that fifty-two bunch crowds around this clubhouse tonight, well, Judge Granberry will have a word to say to us tomorrow. Lou looked pale. Fifty-two, he repeated. Good Lord, Hawkins. Let's call off this singing practice tonight and stay away. Tomorrow night, maybe... We might as well have it out tonight, I broke in. It's got to come sooner or later. I picked up my pen and opened my ink bottle. And besides, I added, I'd never show the yellow feather when Pooley's around. It's not showing yellow when you follow your common sense, said Lou. If he has 52, what are we 12 going to do? I'd say it's common sense to steer clear, and you, Hawkins, always preaching to us boys to use common sense. I stopped him. Lou, I said, common sense sometimes tells me to use tricks. If we let Pooley get the idea in his head that we are afraid of him, what then? He'd never let up on us. I'm thinking that we can put a stop to Pooley by making him ashamed of himself. That's the common sense I see in it, Lou. We were interrupted just then by the arrival of Jerry Moore and Bill Darby. They've been pretty thick, those two, ever since Jerry turned out to be a good football player. Bill is captain of the football team, and he idolizes anybody who can play well. I'd like to have some big electric lights, Hawkins, said Bill as he romped into the clubhouse and sailed his cap skillfully upon one of the coat hooks. I'd hang them all around the hollow and play football at night. That started a talk about football again, and the others arriving took part in it. They all stayed out in the meeting room, leaving me alone in my little office to finish up my writing. The talk died down at last, and Lou got them around the organ and began the singing practice. The preacher asked us to sing at the church next Sunday morning, and Lou had a song picked out for the occasion. I was interested in writing, and at first paid no attention to the singing. But that song kind of gets on your nerves, and I finally caught myself humming along. On a hill, far away, stone on an old rugged cross. Ah, you don't know how it makes you feel to hear a bunch of boys singing. And Lou had them all harmonizing. I got up and walked over to the doorway. I stood just within the curtains of the doorway and looked at the happy bunch of kids. They were all there except the skinny guy. I wonder, I said to myself, what is keeping him? He has been delayed or has he gone poking his nose into trouble? Because I remembered that I had told Link that afternoon that he was our scout. He had spied upon the Pooley meeting and had overheard their plans to tackle our clubhouse after dark. Had he gone out now to see if he could find out more of their plans? 
As if in answer to my unspoken question, the door opened silently, and in walked the skinny guy. He gave one hasty look at the group of boys singing around the organ, and then, seeing me, walked quickly over. I stepped back into my writing room, and he followed me. What now, I asked. Where have you been, Link? He jerked his head toward the window and winked his eye. I watched them gather, he said. They came in from the hillside, and they came in from the plain. Fifty of them, Hawkins, if there's one. The whole bunch, sitting around. Wait. He walked over to the window and peered out. Turning, he beckoned. Come here, Hawkins, he said. I walked over. You see that glow in the sky? That's from their campfire, or bonfire, I should say. I didn't stop to count them, but there must be fifty. Sitting round that great big fire, in that same hollow where we saw them this afternoon. There was a circle of them as big as a merry-go-round. I wanted to stay until they started for the clubhouse, but I got cold feet. The longer I watched them, the worse I felt. I'm really afraid this time, Hawkins. You can talk about your stoner's boy and the Harkinson and the Red Runners. This bunch of pulleys is more than a gang. They're all older than we are, except Pooley. He's the youngest in the lot. Not as old as you, I think. But he's got something about him that makes those other guys do what he says. What is it, Hawkins? Brains, I said simply. Pooley thinks. Those other fellas are always waiting for somebody else to do the thinking for them. That's why they follow Pooley so easily. And Pooley knows it. For a few minutes we sat there listening to the singing. Then Link asked, What are you going to do? They will be here shortly. What were they waiting on, I asked. Pooley, he hadn't shown up. Long Tom got up and made a speech, begging them to follow him and go without Pooley, but none of them moved. No, I said, they've been used to Pooley too long. A tough like Long Tom will never rule that gang. Wait, let me see if I can get Perry Stokes without exciting the other boys. I went to the curtained doorway and beckoned Perry in. Perry, I said. You will take old Rufus Rogers's gun and go out on the porch. Don't fire the gun unless somebody gets so close on to you that you can't get back here. But as soon as you see the knights of the square table coming, hurry back to me. Perry looked startled when he heard those last few words. But like a good club member, he took the gun and went quietly out without the others noticing. Now, I said to Link, get Shadow Loomis in here. Link went out and returned with Shadow. Are they coming? asked Shadow. Link says they are, I answered. And I want you and him to listen to me carefully and do just as I say. The minute Pooley comes, you each take four of our boys and stand on each side of the big table. Perry Stokes will be with me, and let me talk to Pooley. And if there's any fighting to be done, well... I threw up my hands and shrugged my shoulders. Shucks, Hawkins, they'll be four to one on us, said Link. Looks like a shame. Not a chance for us. We will have to take lickings tonight. I'm not worrying. I can always slip out of their hands, but the other boys, how about them? Never mind them, I said. Each of us will do the best we can. But if I'm right in thinking Pooley is a game guy and a fair and square one, you bet he is, came a voice from the porch. The door had swung open suddenly. I saw a number of boys with torchlights on the porch. In front of them was Pooley. They all wore the square cap and the cape of the knights of the square table. I heard you, said Pooley, looking squarely at me, and I want you to remember that I made my gang wear the square cap to show that we are always on the square. 
and we are knights of the square table. Always square. I've got one of your fellas out there. He had a gun, but it didn't get a chance to go off. He turned and called through the open door. Bring that kid in, Sadler. They brought Perry in, looking ashamed, as though he had made a miserable blunder and knew it. Sadler, the boy with the swollen red eye, shoved Perry forward. He still held onto the gun, and I took it from his hands as he stumbled toward me. Now then, continued Pooley. Wait a minute, I broke in. I just want to make sure of one thing, Pooley. Before you go any further ordering things about, let me tell you that I am not afraid of you alone, and our club is not afraid of your gang, no matter how many boys you have behind you. Pooley laughed. He put his hands upon his sides and looked at me scornfully. Ha! he cried. You think I need this big gang behind me, do you? All right, Secretary Hawkins, I'll show you. How many you got here? He swept his gaze around my little group and then turned to me. A dozen, he cried. Then, taking from his pocket a notebook and pencil, he hastily scribbled something and tore out a sheet which he handed to Sadler. Take this to Grimm, he said, and Sadler turned and flew out the door with the message. Now then, Secretary Hawkins, continued Pooley, I have ordered all of my boys back but twelve, the same number that you have in your gang. I don't want to be unfair, you see. We are going to fight, and I hope you'll be the one that tackles me. You'll get your wish, I said hotly, for this cool, insolent tone had angered me. Even as I stepped forward, intending to throw him out of the clubhouse, he put his hands to his lips and gave a shrill whistle. Immediately there came into the door the group of boys he had behind him. Our boys rushed forward at the same time, each grappling with one of the poolies. I had no time to see more, for Pooley handed me a sound wallop, and I felt as if my nose had been flattened against my face. I plunged forward with my right fist, but he caught it in his left and threw his right around my neck. I tried to break from his grasp, but he pulled me over and together we went down. I heard the others scuffling all about me, and one boy nearly tramped on my head as I rolled on the floor with Pooley. He had a stranglehold on me, and suddenly I felt the weight off my chest, and I sat up. Come on, get up, said Pooley. Try it again, fair and square. I leaped to my feet. I didn't say a word because I was so mad I couldn't talk. Chase him out, boys, I heard Dick Ferris, our captain, yell. Yeah, but it wasn't so easy to do. I luckily managed to sail one in and catch Pooley on the jaw. He reeled, and for a moment I thought he would go down. But Pooley is a tough one. He came back at me and sent such a stinging blow to my head that I was dizzy for a second, and then I tried my left and I caught him right under the chin. It was a lucky punch. I'll never give myself credit for it. He went down like a sack of potatoes. And just as I bent over him came the sound of the old brass horn, once, twice, thrice, a warning. How I remembered the old call. Twice, a summons. Three times, warning and a sign of danger. In a panic, the other knights left off fighting, and they nearly had our boys down and out, but they left off and ran out that door to save themselves from the danger that the old horn announced. For the love of Mike, what's this commotion all about? I was stooping over Pooley, who lay on the floor. I turned and saw Doc Waters standing in the door. Pooley opened his eyes. Doc Waters came in. "'What's the matter, Hawkins?' he asked, bending down over Pooley. "'Nothing, sir.' And it was Pooley who answered him. "'Not a thing. 
If you must know, we had a fight, and I believe Hawkins beat me, but it was fair and square. He got upon his feet, and I helped him, but he shook off my hand as though he didn't want any help. He turned to Dr. Waters, who stood staring at the strange boy. I hope you won't blame Hawkins, he said. He couldn't help it. We made him fight, but we fought fair and square. Good night. And he leaped for the door and was gone. Well, of all the strange kids, began Doc Waters. That was Pooley, I said. As I came down the river path, said Doc, I saw a great crowd of boys on the bank. They held rosin torches, and the sight was a strange one, I tell you. As soon as they caught sight of me, I saw one raise a horn to his lips. Long Tom, I said. Doc shook his head. I wish you wouldn't, Hawkins, he said. You've got to keep out of trouble with that boy and his kind. If you don't, the judge will give orders to have your clubhouse torn down and... But I got to, I told him. Pooley plays fair and square. I won't run. Let the judge order what he wants. I'm going to put up my fist when they come after me. You see how it was. They came right in our clubhouse. Suppose a band of Indians came into this town. Would Judge Granberry run out or would he fight them? Doc grinned. Same old Hawkins, he said. But just the same, the old judge must not hear of this night. You boys must keep it quiet. Which we did. End of chapter 17